welcome to the Coach Steve Clark Show, where he will encourage, inspire, and equip coaches, players, and parents who will in turn motivate and help others to promote the great game of tennis, foster sportsmanship, and develop greater players and people. Thanks for joining us, and here's your host, Steve Clark. Hello, everyone. This is Steve Clark, and thanks so much for tuning into the show again. Really appreciate it. I'd like to thank Wayne Bryan for the intro and Mike and Bob Bryan for the music. And a special thanks to all they do for tennis through the Bryan Bro Foundation and more. So uh, thanks again, guys. Hey, I have great conversations and insights uh, that just keep coming with my guests on my show, and I'm just really fortunate. And I have to admit, my guests are creme de la creme, and I love visiting with my uh, friends and colleagues from around the world. And today I'm pumped to chat with a friend who is not only uh, one of the most respected collegiate coaches and players, actually, in the juniors, college, and pros ranks, uh, but also one of the few college coaches that I would trust to coach my own kids. Um, and that's Matt Anger of UW. And uh, today we're going to not only connect on all the different phases of juniors, parents, uh, the transition to college and maybe beyond, uh, like I do in most of my shows, uh, but Matt brings a unique been there, done that, but a keep on learning attitude, uh, all with a sense of professionalism and humility and respect for others. And I'm sure many coaches uh, look up to Matt as well as his players uh, as a role model. And so before I bring Matt on, here's a short recap of his background. And I'm sure it is short. I'm sure there's a bunch of stuff he didn't uh, send me. But uh, uh, to start off, Matt uh, won junior Wimbledon and was ranked number two in the world uh, junior rankings in 1981. Um, he was a three-time All-American at USC and inducted into the ITA Collegiate Tennis Hall of Fame. And for those of you out there, it's the Intercollegiate Tennis Coaches Association, the ITA. And in 1985, Matt was nominated as the most improved player on the ATP Tour. And in 1986, achieved an ATP singles ranking of 23 in the world and actually reached the round of 16 at both Wimbledon and the U.S. Open. Uh, he won Johannesburg, where he uh, defeated uh, a, uh, you know, some other friends that we have in common, uh, Scott Davis, a phenomenal player, Harold Solomon, Jimmy Arias, and Brad Gilbert. Um, many of you might know who Brad Gilbert of BG is on the uh, television when he does commentary on the matches. Um, and Brad had significant win over these guys, as well as uh, Johan Creek, Kevin Curran, Henry LeConte, and Miloslav Machir. So a significant uh, playing power by Matt here. At UW, he has coached three different players to the NCAA semifinals and reached the Sweet 16 five times in six years. And his teams have also reached the quarterfinals three times at the National Team Indoor Championships, which I think uh, at least once he held, uh, he hosted, uh, maybe even more than that, I'm sure. Uh, he just completed his 26th year as the head coach at Washington and got his 400th win just before uh, all this uh, craziness settled in and the NCAA shut down the season. Um, his, his teams have qualified for the NCAA tournament 21 times, and at one time he had a streak of 19 times in the row. Well, Matt, that's uh, quite a bit, and I'd like to welcome you to the show, and I appreciate you coming on. How you doing? Doing all right, Steve, and, and thanks a lot. It's a thrill for me. I've been listening to your show, and uh, you've been doing a great job with this. Well, I appreciate it. Um, and for those of you out there, I remember when I was coaching at uh, UC Irvine many, many years ago, um, we were about 16 in the country, and, uh, and uh, if my memory serves me, Back then, the PNW wasn't that strong in terms of the schools up there, the Pac-12, et cetera, and even some of the other schools. 
But when Matt became the head coach and they got a new facility and the focus on tennis, and he's just done a phenomenal job at UW, and he developed many players and does it the right way. And what I mean by that is one thing uh, I appreciate about Matt is that he is uh, thoughtful in his input for the game collegiately and overall. And we had, you know, a lot of battles, you know, on the court, um, even if we lost, but we would have uh, – um, in recent years, um, but we always had, um, despite our significant competitiveness, uh, we always did it with respect and good sportsmanship, and that's what it should be like between colleagues and coaches. Because I, this is something uh, maybe we might talk about. hadn't planned on it, but you know, one of the things as I got later on in the years is, you know, probably started about 20 years ago. I thought, you know, we're we're out here grinding. We want the best thing for our guys. But it all stems from the coaches. It just kind of goes uh, top down, uh, leadership down, and and we have to emulate that. And um, uh, I thought uh, I always thought always thought I had a fair fight with Matt, and I think that's really important in terms of uh, coaches. So, anyways, it's great to have him. And Matt, I'd like to maybe uh, uh, start off with. Could you tell us a little bit about your personal tennis journey as a junior? Maybe uh, kind of segueing through that and your college experience there. Well, I, I was lucky. My dad played uh, some college tennis. He uh, played at San Jose State, and w- I grew up in a small town in Northern California, Pleasanton. And he was a high school tennis coach, and I just grew up hanging around at the courts. And uh, I thought I was pretty good uh, in, in Pleasanton and started at a young age. Uh, I was playing tournaments at eight and ventured out of our little valley there in Pleasanton, and I played eight tournaments. I lost first round all eight times (laughs) and uh you know came back home saying okay uh there's a bigger world than uh, my little town here um and i'm just i'm glad i didn't get frustrated and and, uh and give it up but uh stuck with it now were these eight your other eight-year-olds or did you kind of go out there and hey man i'm gonna play in the tens and twelves well no well there weren't eight and under events it was ten and unders right uh, yeah so yeah playing kids but yeah just uh (laughs) i was getting i remember i won a set and it was like a celebration in our house (laughs) and uh you know i tell that definitely uh to people who think you know if you've been a pro that for sure you were winning every match as a kid and that was not the case uh, for me, and you know, I was fortunate. Uh, had a very good coach that kind of moved into my hometown, Mark Elliott, and he coached me a lot. And I, I, that's one thing I, I would I look back and incredible with some of the people that I worked with coaching wise. I just I just and there's a lot of luck in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I got a lot of help and just kind of kept Im- improving. Um, my dad was, was tough on me. I remember when I was 12, I qualified for the nationals and he would let me go. And he said, so I'm not going to send you to go lose first round. You're just not good enough. And I remember arguing saying, well, I've qualified. That means I'm good enough. And, uh, he, he disagreed. And even, uh, the next year when I was 13 and qualified, I didn't get to go. And I finally got to start going to the nationals when I was 14. And again, uh, I was I was getting beat up a bit uh, and saw some of the you know, top players, and that that's really what motivated me. And Mark Elliott, as a coach, he did he did a really good job of giving me confidence. Like, hey, you can you know we'd look at a top player, and I, I was thinking this guy is unbelievable. And he's I think you could get that guy in a year, and and yet if I did something really well and I was overconfident he was the first person to knock me down. (laughs) And uh, he did a good job of when I was cocky 
cocky, he would just, you know, knock me down a few pegs. And, and yet if I was down or didn't really see how I could do something, he, he did a good job of keeping me interested, motivated, and that, you know, there was hope. What would be an example of him knocking, uh, put, put, uh, bringing you down a peg? How would he do that? Well, he, he would do it with, by example. And what I mean by example, not necessarily how he was hitting the ball, but he would say, all right, look, you're, you're 15 and you won these tournaments. You think that's pretty good. Uh, you know, how good do you think this guy is who's 18? And I would say, well, of course the guy is really good. And then he would say, well, that guy's not even in college yet. And how many players are ahead of him in college? And, and in college, you know, how many guys are ahead of them, you know, can't make it, you know, on the, and so, you know, all of a sudden right. he would paint this picture that there are, you know, a thousand people ahead of me. And it was like, well, how confident, you know, cocky right. can I be? I got, right. I got to get to work. There are a thousand people out there. I got to pass. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, what has changed since you played or, to, you know, even at the high level when you uh, got to, uh, um, you know, the number two ranking, won the Wimbledon, uh, junior Wimbledon. And maybe what's the same? What are some of the same things? You know, obviously uh, equipment's changed, but what are, what are some things that are different and maybe the same since uh, since then that you see? Well, in, in the juniors, I, I think one thing that has definitely changed, and, and I would say there have been times where I see the positive in it, but then there are times where I don't. And I, I just remember that there was one ranking a year, uh, whether that was a sectional ranking, national ranking, or the international, you know, the world ranking. Now there are rankings every two weeks and you can get, obviously if we're playing tournaments and where you can get 24 people to say they're number one in the country and they're right. At one particular time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, just because it changes. Whereas growing up, it was like, wow, you know, you had that whole year to work. You were number seven or whatever your number was and then you'd have a little bit of an off season and kind of go to work to make the next climb. And uh, I think, you know, sometimes maybe people back then put too much into a ranking. And yet at the same time, there was that motivation uh, to, to improve. As far as the tournaments they would play, I think too many kids play the international events now. I think, Back when I was playing, really only the ones that had a chance to be playing in the, the top events, whether it was Junior Wimbledon or the Junior U.S. Open and Junior French, the, those events, those are those people were playing those events. And now I think some people chase that, and it would be better if they were kind of dominating in the U.S. or then even before that, maybe dominating in their section, and even before that, dominated in their age group rather than reaching out too far right i i think it this playing up and doing those things has worked for a few people no doubt but when everyone does it 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 doesn't help as much anymore well and i yeah and i this is another whole can of worms we'll talk about a little bit even you know because there's particularly in some parts of the country um you know i like i know even up in the pnw you could drive for five hours to play a tournament because they're so spread out at least if you know particularly depending where you live and then you play some kid who's playing up an age group, and you you win O and O, and it's you're, just you're like right. wow, that was a waste of time. 
And even though a ball is a ball, and I tell people all the time, hey, man, every match is important, a ball is a ball, but sometimes it's like uh, this shouldn't even happen, you know, because um, it's you, you need more competition at, at, a, at a higher level. And I think the UTR helps that a little bit, but we don't have enough UTR events per se to – to kind of compensate for that. So so you think that happens uh, more now than it did when you were younger? Oh, for sure uh, it does. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I think uh, for sure. Yeah. And then, yeah, I mean, there, and there are differences at, uh, at the different levels. Uh, in, in college, I think things have changed. Uh, I, I think there are, uh, you know, just so many more coaches that are beating the bushes recruiting and – uh, just managing their program, promoting their pro- program, fundraising, just doing so many things. It's more competitive uh, than it was, uh, you know, when I was in school. It was just, I, I don't think number fifty back in those days had a chance against number five, and, and nowadays, that's definitely the case. You know, a, a lower ranked team can knock off a team on any given day, and and there are changes uh, on, on the tour as well. I mean. You could look at basic things. I think there are more tournaments on slower courts. You know, even if they're on hard, right. you know, the hard courts have, have slowed down. Uh, courts were a little quicker um, back then, even the hard courts, let alone grass or more tournaments that were indoors were on carpet. And you know, now uh, you know those they'll go in and lay down a slower uh, court. And uh, I, I think a lot of that is is for the positive. I'm not knocking that, but. Some definite differences. Yeah. What, um, you know, kind of going back before we get into uh, specifically junior tennis, you know, what things stick out? Like, if you look back at your career as a player and um, as a college player, and I'm not talking about as a coach because that, that may be fresh in your mind, but as a co- coming out of college and then maybe playing on the pros, what lessons or th- what things really stuck out that have really shaped you, kind of like who you are and how you do things? Well, I, you know, I wasn't the most talented uh, person, w- without a doubt, and I, I, I admit I was a thief. I would look at different things people did, and you know, it was just observing them and how they worked, and see a guy working hard, you know, with his footwork, and seeing a guy with his forehand volley, and I'd take a little bit here, and I'd steal a little. Wow, look at that! that you know, that guy took his return early, or this guy was a step quicker coming in or whatever it was i i definitely uh just took you know stock or inventory of of different players knowing that i had a lot of things to keep climbing up through the ranks i i was lucky to get into some pro tournaments at a young age i like my senior year in high school i got a wild card to play the qualifying of a challenger in Mexico. And I made it through the qualifying. And I actually got to the finals of the challenger. Wow. <laughs> and so, I, you know, I had a, awesome. I had a ranking kind of right away. Yeah. Um, my, my last year in college, I played the Australian open back then. The Australian open was at the end of the year in December. And I qualified in the qualifying. I was down two match points and got uh, escaped, but I ended up qualifying and winning two rounds and uh, getting to the third round, I lost in four sets to Anders Yared. And I mm. came home uh, to college, and we had a, an event uh, right away in January out in Palm Springs. And I lost first round, and I was on the next morning on court 30, you know, playing the backdraw at 8 a.m. <laughs> and, you know, I'm like, 
you know, those, those are tough lessons. Yeah. I, mean, I just remember it was just like, wow, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was in the third round and the fourth set against, you know, here I am now on, you know, court 30, uh, playing the consolation. But I remember my coach, Dick Leach, who you know, well, and you know, he just said, well, now we'll, we'll see how tough you are. You know, he goes, I know you can play, but now we'll see if you're tough. And, you know, I, I grinded it out. I got, I, you know, I won that back draw. <laughs> Well, okay, so there's three things right here, and these are the type of the, 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 the uh, I call them object lessons, so younger people listening, is one, he said he wasn't that talented, yet he was 23 in the world. Two, he said he was really kind of a lifelong learner, because he just kind of looked at people and said, man, what are they doing? What can I do? How can I get better? Third thing is, he, he, did, he had an amazing uh, opportunity, and he seized it and, and played extremely well, and then he just had a a bummer of a leak right after that. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, players will get out there and they'll have a great, great win. And then they'll play horrible. And they go, man, and they get all, you know, get all, you know, bent out of shape or they think, man, you know, or they have a huge confidence dip. And this is what I would, uh, same thing what uh, Dick said to you is coach, coach Leach said to you is I could tell my players, Hey man, uh, a win's a win. And the best thing after a loss is a win. And just, and then, you know, the tough guys, yeah, they fight through the back draw and that's, you know, that's what proves their metal, you know? Um, and that's what I tell my juniors, like, look, you know, these back draw matches, if, if you're supposed to win the final in the, in the main draw, then you should better kick some butt in the back draw. And, uh, those, those lessons. Yeah. That's three, three nuggets right there, Matt, that you gave some kids. So that's great stuff, man. Yeah. Well, Dick, he was, he was a realist and he, he would not sugarcoat anything. I mean, when I came right. to school, he told me all my shots, the, the ones that were lousy, <laughs> he didn't say, he didn't use the word lousy. No, I, and uh, I could picture him yeah. saying that. <laughs> yeah, but, but one thing he also did yeah. there, you know, same thing in that tournament. He's right. like, well, let's see how tough you are. But you know, when I was done, he said, you know, we kind of sat down and yeah. was like, look, you know, what are, what are we working on here? Right. And we had two things, you know, and it was kind of integrating I had grown up playing from the baseline and he's just, you're not going to be good enough to play on the tour at the baseline consistently. You might pull off a win, but you got to be coming in and we got to work on that. And your forehand's got to be better to earn your way coming in. So those are your two things this season. So it was kind of, uh, you know, I, I got knocked down, but all of a sudden there was purpose. It was like, you know, we're driving back uh, from Palm Springs to Los Angeles at uh, USC where I'd gone. And it was like, I was ready to get, go to work. That's another good, uh, good point right there. Um, not only that, uh, I spent a lot of time with the players that I coach, uh, you know, transition game, get forward, build your forehand, look for ways to get in. Still the case. And there you mentioned purpose. I like that purpose after a loss, man, you get right back up there. That's, that's good stuff. Hey, in the juniors, um, uh, let's move on here. Is uh, any advice you'd give to an eager Beaver junior out there aspiring to play college and maybe even beyond? Just maybe a couple uh, things that, uh, you know, maybe like, for example, what should they be focusing on? Um, uh, you know, what's the amount of good time to spend on court training or fitness versus just on court time? Or what, what maybe nuggets do you have for them? Well, I, I think starting out, people have to play. Uh, you've got you know, sometimes all – you know, I'll get, as you probably did, uh, you know, coaching uh, and you get letters or you're, maybe you're even recruiting people. And sometimes I'd be surprised how little they've played. And, uh, you know, you've got to be playing matches and you've got to have that match toughness. And that's definitely the way you find out what's working, what isn't working. 
And so that's that's one thing is just not to there. There are not a lot of shortcuts. You got to go out and play, and you've got to be tough. And then no doubt, when you're growing up, you've got to be technically proficient and you know, work on your game. I think one of the things that's very difficult for young players is to simultaneously work on their game <laughs> mm-hmm. and be competitive as hell out there on the court. Right. And, you know, when they're when they're competing hard, they don't want to work on their game. It's like, hey, I got I want to win this match. Or you'll get some people that'll say almost kind of default the competitive side and say, hey, I'm not worried about the, these tournaments because I'm working on my game. And really, that match toughness is something you've got to work on. And so it's it's the rare person, but I think it's the person that's rewarded over the long haul who can work on their game and still work on their competitive toughness in competition and do those simultaneously. Yeah, it's, uh, that's I agree 100%. Um, in fact, I, I call it friendly fire at times. Like, uh, you know, a lot of times people will work on something. And it, like, for example, this period of time right now, the, the stuff we're going through, I, I've told players, I said, look, this is a perfect time to work on stuff because there are no tournaments. And you just got to kind of work on your game, you know. Uh, but one of the things I tell people is, uh, look, you, you you practice this. If you're going to work on, let's say you got to work on your chip return, you got to work on your slice approach or something like that. Um, and you can't, it's really difficult to go, if it's something that's not your forte, to kind of go into a match right off the bat. But you got to do it in friendly fire, like maybe against a friend that doesn't care if you win or lose or, you know, in that competition, in the practice competition, or they, hey, just let's play some great games so I can integrate this into my points. And then from there, you go into competition. So it's not, uh, you, you feel, have a little confidence in it. Without a doubt. You, there are a lot of steps to doing that. I mean, doing it, you know, whether you're just walking through it, whether you're doing it being fed balls, whether you're doing it in simulated points, whether you're doing it in practice points and practice matches, lower level tournaments and, you know, higher level and then doing it under pressure. And then over time, I mean, there are a lot of steps to it. And, you know, I always look at it, you know, the time's wasting. You got to get started on that process. Yeah, that's, that's good. That's good. I just, one fun story you might like, uh, you remember Chris Taunts, I'm sure he had a two hand forehand, one hand backhand, two hand forehand. And I remember every morning we'd work out on, uh, um, by the way, folks listening, Chris uh, has a podcast with me uh, as he coached uh, Claire Lou and uh, Sloan Stevens. We talk about transitioning into pros from the juniors, et cetera. But, um, we, uh, he had to do this two-hand, forehand guys would take advantage of him on the reach. And I said, Chris, you got to at least learn how to hit that thing on the reach. You know, and we'd go out there almost every, you know, little bit of time before practice or in the morning, go out there and practice. I remember the one time he hit it in a match. I mean, it was like you said, like the time you won that one set when you were eight years old. It was like Celebration City, man. It was like a lot of hooting and hollering. You know, that was pretty fun. So Yeah, yeah. well, I remember Chris Stott, my very first year as the head coach at Washington. We, we made the NCAA tournament for the first time, and – uh, we lost to uh, Irvine uh, 4-3, and Chris Tons won the uh, deciding match. <laughs> Sorry so, about that. Dark, dark that was that, that was a Pepperdine, wasn't it? At UCLA. Oh, UCLA, okay, yeah. But um, one, one thing I'll, I'll say, though, as far as that work, yeah, that, that for kids also, when, when is being technically proficient, is to work at being more well-rounded than they think they'll have a way of playing that is usually successful. It's like I run around, I hit my forehand this way at some point down the road, they're going to need more. And the sooner they're working on those things, the better. And, and I, 
again, that is easier said than done. I, I like to think I, I was pretty good at working on aspects of my game because I know I knew that I had to do it. But in college, you know, when Dick Leach was working on me coming forward, I, I, I would hesitate. I, you know, if I lost, come forward, I'd lose a couple of points, and I'd say, back that, I could still be playing this point at the baseline. And I worked a ton on it, but I really didn't utilize it as much as I wish I had my last year in college. But then when, when I was in the pros and had to do it, I, I was way more ready. All of a sudden, I was like, wow, I can actually do this. But if I hadn't done that work, then I'd had no chance. That's good. That's good. Hey, what about the role of dubs and juniors? And we talk about this all the time within tennis, um, but I just don't see it really happening. What, what's your uh, what's your opinion on and, and maybe even ideas that how, how you think it might be increased? Maybe if uh, people from the USTA are listening in at times. I mean, what do, you, what do you think ways we can get more dubs in and, and your view on that? Well, I don't know if I have the solution to getting more doubles in, but like you, I would be all for it. I, I just think it's a, an important – well, first of all, I love doubles. Uh, who doesn't like doubles? And then second of all, that the work in the doubles helps your singles game. And I, I know I had fun playing doubles growing up even when i started to get serious about the game and you might have those days where even when you're a kid it starts to feel like a job because you're really trying to work at it day in and day out doubles was always fun and i also remember as a kid i think i was in the 10 and unders and go played a tournament in northern cal where i grew up in palo alto at mm-hmm. rinconada park which is right down the road from Stanford. Right. yeah and on the first court uh you know, Northern Cal at that time, I was very lucky to have a lot of players older than me that became top 100 pros. But Nick Saviano and Butch Waltz were playing junior doubles together, and they were giving signals. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And, <laughs> you know, I was like, I had never heard of it, right. seen it. I, I couldn't believe it. Right. And, you know, there we were in the 10s and the 12s. We're giving signals. I mean, heck, we're just trying to throw the serve in the box and get right. we're making moves and <laughs> doing things. We didn't really even know what we were doing, but we were having fun and learning skills along the way that we probably were unaware of. We'd be able to hit volleys a, a little better and uh, be able to take returns early, come forward on your serve. And when you don't do those things, it it's just that much of a longer road when you start trying to work on those things at a later age. So I don't think I have the answer for you on how to get the more doubles, but right. uh, I definitely think it's, it's enjoyable, fun to watch, and it's better for your game. Well, yeah, and that's, uh, I know, uh, just, and I probably mentioned this a little later, but I'll mention it now. Um, you know, that's why whenever as a coach, uh, and, and you know this, I never wanted to clinch doubles, ever. And that's for people listening. That means in the NCAA Division One, particularly, we would stop doubles once a once a uh, the doubles point was won. And I never wanted to do that. And it stemmed from the fact that doubles is crucial. And not only that, it's an it's an opportunity to learn to compete, where you don't take such a huge blow to your ego. You know, you, you're out there in singles. It's all you, and you have to figure everything out, and, and it's ups and downs. But in doubles, you have somebody, you know, that you can kind of commiserate with or that can motivate you. And, and you know, to be able to learn how to hold the lead, to come back, um, et cetera. And when you cut that, when you stop that match, it's uh, it just it just truncates that whole process, you know. And so I think uh, it's an important point. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree. Now, over time, I've, I've kind of evolved a little bit on that. But I'm with you. <laughs> I mean, I, I wish we played the doubles longer. You yeah. know, we, we stop at six, and right. I would like to do at least be at eight. I mean, I, I want uh, more play. Right. But uh, I also used to be where I was against stopping when the doubles point was clinched. But I think over time, you get enough coaches or enough players who – will say look i don't want to play after it's clinched right and over time that starts to win out so you know i, I and and again I, I think you it could be up to the coaches to do a better job of saying hey this is what we're going to going to do we're going to play and, and play it out which we used to do right and I, I think we could do it but just i don't want to be out there when all of a sudden the other team doesn't want to be out there right right and, and i know what you and, mean I, i've seen the look on players <laughs> faces yeah <laughs> And, you know, yeah. I, I always say, you know, I always want to play. And yet that definitely happens. It comes up. And yeah. as soon as you get, you're in that situation where somebody doesn't want to be there, it's like, well, okay, let's get off the court. And let's get ready for singles. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, those of you listening, if you get a chance to watch the college match uh, and to kind of see what we're talking about, uh, you know, uh, and you happen to be in the uh, Seattle area, uh, check out uh, UW match. So um, what about a, a court? Uh, this is still in the juniors uh Area. What about uh, coaching on the court in the juniors, no ad scoring, and playing lets like D1 tennis? Well, I, I guess I'm old school on the coaching. I, I think that uh, it's just a great lesson in life for kids to learn how to handle themselves uh, when, when they're out there. Um, you know, I have two kids who – didn't stay in tennis, but they played at an early age. And I remember my wife who didn't go up with tennis, you know, they're, you know, 10 years old playing an event and kids are losing the score. And she'd be like, Oh, somebody's got to go out there and, you know, help them with the score, you know? And, and I'm like, no, 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 no. Let's, let's stay away. Let them figure it out. And, you know, they're playing for themselves. And I just think growing up, that is, is a good thing. The NOAD tennis you know, I'm I'm mixed on this. It's it's kind of funny. Like for the pro tennis, I like the regular scoring and the old school uh, scoring. I know a lot of people would like to have that in college. I, for me, it's not as big a deal. And my explanation for that is that at 30 all, to me, it is a huge point, whether I'm playing regular scoring or no ad. Right. And. Now, the now for juniors, thing, what do you think? Do you think the same for juniors? Like a pro, you like a regular college, you're okay with uh, no ad, but what about juniors? The juniors, um, well, here's the thing. I am more worried. I don't mind uh, the, the scoring. However, I want a third set. I, I don't, I am a person who's kind of against the match tiebreaker for the third, unless it's maybe the 10 and unders and 12 and unders. I don't like when I go to the sectional championships right. and the semifinals and right. the 18 and unders. It's a match tiebreaker. Right, that's crazy, yeah. And I just I do not get that at all because I those those results uh, just don't mean as much to me. And you know, when you're playing a sectional championship, I mean that, those are fun uh, titles and important uh, right. titles and right. you know, it's a championship. And it's like why would you uh, play it out to you know, the, the fullest intent. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Now, I, I remember playing those types of events in the juniors. I grew up with with a lot of no ad tennis, and that's why 
for me, I was able to kind of switch back and forth uh, more easily. I know some people, they, well, not a lot. I don't know if there's anyone that wakes up and says, I love no ad. I think there are maybe people <laughs> exactly. that don't find right. no ad, right. and there are people that hate it. Right. Um, I, I guess I would put myself into the I don't mind uh, right. category. Right. What about oh, yeah, uh, what about the lets? Third. Yeah, the lets. D one because I, I my personal opinion is I would like to see it changed across the world where you just play the lets. If it dribbles over, oh well. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's fine. I was against what we do in college now, where we are playing those uh, lets. Um, I, I was against it. I was like, come on, that's crazy. You're gonna. I have totally come around to where <laughs> it, it. I think if you and I were to go out and play, we would disagree at some point on a let right. if something ticked the tape or not. Right. And well, it's just good luck, bad luck. But there's just you know we're not going to have any disagreement. And you might have good luck, I may have bad luck. It's just the way it goes. Over time, it might balance out. Um, so I don't mind it at all. Um, I don't mind for the juniors. I think you could do the same thing. Uh, the pros, if you've got somebody there or, you know, you have the sensor, uh, and nowadays the sensor is a little more accurate. I know over the years, sometimes it hasn't been. Wasn't it uh, Isner had like, I don't know what it was, but there's like 10 lets in a row. I mean, I can't remember what, watching one match is like, oh, come on. And they return the ball every time. <laughs> wow. So, okay, well, not Isner, but yeah. One, but that is, yeah. Anytime you're on the third one, it's right. your you're rolling your eyes and uh, <laughs> you can't believe it. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I, for, I think in, it would just be an adjustment. So for me, I, I see in pro tennis, if you've got someone there or the sensor, it's like, I don't mind, you know, uh, having a let called, but if we switched, everybody would adjust in about 10 days. Right. Uh, anything you would like to add uh, that maybe is on your heart or on your radar regarding junior tennis? You know, as these maybe kids are listening and uh, maybe some things you want them to kind of take to heart as they maybe are, you know, hoping for a transition into college. You know, one thing I get asked a lot, and and most of the time I don't know the answer specifically, and so it may sound like my answer is vague, but, you know, they'll say, you know, does is, is my kid have the talent to, to be a college player or what level or can they be a pro and what i say and it, it's i guess i'm dodging the question but it's the truth is i have seen more talented people not make it mm -hmm. and i've seen less talented people make it it's it's really up to you and how you handle each new obstacle and you're going to have new obstacles uh, whether it's your court coverage whether it's your serve at a higher level it was fine when you were 14 or is it your return at a higher level that was fine uh, whatever it is you're going to have those obstacles and you've got to keep working but um you know i i think you've got to be have some uber talent really to be top three in the world but you can be a, the normal person work hard and make it into college and make it on the tour if you are pushing yourself that ought to be encouraging to like 99% of the people listening. That is awesome. That's great. It's, and I, 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 you're absolutely right, I think. And, you know, you even mentioned it yourself. You said, you know, hey, you were 23 in the world, and, you know, you didn't at certain stages. You thought, well, you know, it's kind of a, you know, normal Joe. You know, you just worked hard, et cetera. I, I laugh thinking back to when I was a kid. When I was real young, I had a horrible temper. And I remember, you know, the in my little town, you know, it was like, well, Matt Anger's never going to be a good player because he can't keep his cool. I mean, he just loses it. <laughs> right. Well, at about 13 or 14, I just said, okay, I'm taking that excuse off the board. And 
just kind of got myself calm. I didn't want to give, you know, the opponent any kind of extra hope uh, when we were playing a match. I was going to just, I'm going to just make it as tough for you as possible. I'm not going to lose it. I'm gonna... And later as a pro, I remember a guy saying, gosh, anger, you know, I don't know how you, you would have no chance if you weren't as mentally tough as you are. And, you know, I just laughed when I was a kid. That was the reason why I wasn't going to make it. And that type of thing was in a number of elements in my game. It was I wasn't fast enough. I couldn't cover the court. And then it was like, you know, I people would say, gosh, if you didn't have such good reach and, you know, you're able to cut off uh, angles on the court, you, you know, you wouldn't be able to make it. And, you know, again, I'd laugh at myself. So uh, most of the reasons why I couldn't make it ended up, because of work, being the reasons why I did make it. Hmm. Uh, college tennis, college tennis here, uh, you know, I think you would agree with me that being a student athlete is extremely demanding, you know, particularly at the higher levels. And, uh, and I, and I would say that, uh, and I have a little phrase, I say, Hey, uh, being, uh, excellence is not division dependent, you know, so it's not, if you're, if you're NAIA, you're, uh, you're, uh, D three, D two, D one. Hey, if you, if you want to win and if you want to be a champion, it takes discipline at all levels, and it takes uh, it's very demanding. And uh, can you share with us about your philosophy of coaching collegiately with the student athlete in mind? I mean, because obviously we have a philosophy of coaching, let's say one on one, or how we handle players. But I'm uh, asking specifically your philosophy of coaching as a as a college coach with the student athlete in mind. Well, I, I think that people go to college uh, obviously for the education and. The tennis, uh, as competitive as it is, and obviously it's what I'm thinking about most of the time, uh, it's just it's an add-on. I mean, that's why they are student-athletes. And at the end of college, you want to have as many doors open to you as possible uh, for your future after college. And for some people, those doors might be open uh, with tennis. But for at most everyone, they should be open academically. As a coach... I always want somebody happy on the court and I know if somebody is struggling or behind with schoolwork, they're in a bad mood on the court. They're going to have a short fuse uh, with their temper, their patience. And, you know, I never really worried if somebody was a 3.3 GPA or a three, seven, but I wanted them to be doing their best because I know I would, I do know that then they're the happiest when they're on the court right. uh, with the tennis, and we're going to get the most out of the tennis. You are totally right that it's tough, it, and it does not matter the level because we've got there's stress and uh, there's pressure. Um, you know whether you put it on yourself. Uh, most of the time, that's how it is. But you know uh, whether it's a, a class you're taking, you've got a test and a match. There are a lot of things happening. It's tough on your time management and you've got a, those are great skills. And so as tough as it is, those working through that, those skills are going to help you the rest of your life. So yeah, the time management, uh, you know, it, it, it being, uh, working with the team, handling the pressure. Um, and I'm sure this is the case with you. We have so many players that have gone on to, you know, whether it's professional tennis, the professional world, graduate programs, uh, coaching themselves, et cetera, and having that, you know, that time management slash the, the being able to meet demands under pressure, 
Um, and being able to, I call it, fake it till you make it. Sometimes, you know what? You do not want to get up for a 6 a.m. weight workout. You just get up, you do it, and then, you know, halfway through it, you're all glad I came. And, you know, sure. and those kind of things, you know, uh, make uh, student athletes tough in the work world. You know, they're, they're able to pull themselves up by the bootstraps and get going and maybe when there's a failure. No, I, I had, you know, I love to tell tennis stories, but some, one of my favorite non-tennis stories uh, had a player, uh, Jeremy Berman, who long, long ago, I think his last year was 2001, and this guy improved dramatically uh, in college. Uh, I don't think he was recruited by, I think maybe Providence or something was the only other school that recruited him. There was, there was one other school in the East Coast and, and ourselves. He was a local player here. And he just improved. And his last year in uh, uh, 2001 at the national team indoors, at no, it was five foot five. At number one doubles, he didn't lose against Georgia, Duke, and Florida. And just showed his his improvement. But he went through school, did very well, and uh, wanted to go to medical school. And I get a call from him as he's started medical school, and he said, "Coach, I I am in over my head. Um, these none of these other uh, students were out playing a sport. I mean, they've just been, you know, they can just go in the library, they work, they study, they're used to it, they're on top of things." And I I said, "Give me a break. I've been on the court <laughs> with you." while you're cramping and you still want to play right. and you are competing and you are like, there's no coach, there's no way you're going to take me off the court. That's exactly said, right. How many of those guys do you think Jeremy can study while they're cramping, you know, both legs cramping. Do you think I've seen you work in that situation? Right. They may be ahead of you in some way, but I know you can work through pain and catch up. It was a month or two later he called up, and he's like, oh, I kicked their butts. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to make it. I'm going to do well. And That's awesome. You know, he, yeah, it was great. I mean, then he came back. You know, he's in Seattle as an emergency room surgeon. You know, and I said, hey, if something ever happened to me, I told my wife, and I'm an emergency room, you get me to Jeremy Berman, and he will save my life. <laughs> there you go. I want the guy who can cramp and still do operation. Yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Find a way. Hey, what do you uh, what do you hold as the UTR role? And um, you know, uh, you know, I have Dave Fish on one of my uh, kind of one of my early podcasts. We talk about that, but you know, what? How do you see the role in the recruiting process? Because again, we're talking a little bit on the you know kids coming from juniors to college, and you know, they I, I was recently on a on a Zoom interview with a former player of mine who played Davis Cup for Sri Lanka, and we talked about the whole you know part of it was talking about utr because they don't have it and some places don't have that right. uh, the benefit so maybe if you could speak to your uh your opinion and your use of utr and maybe how some juniors uh getting prepared for college might see that well i i look at it if i got some information uh, on a player i do look at it but for me it's a starting point it, it's not quite the answer but i i'm a fan of utr uh, and dave fish and uh, I, I look forward to the day when more events, more matches are there so that it does become more accurate. Right. Uh, and that's why it's a, it is a starting point. I have noticed, and I, I think they're getting better. They, they do recalibrate it. And it, uh, I think there was a time there a year or two ago where some of the juniors were maybe a little too high and all of a sudden they get to college and it's a tough adjustment for them. And, and you know, they've, kind of all of a sudden the air's out of their balloon you know like wait what happened i thought i was a 
thirteen two and I'm right. losing to the twelve eight and like, well this guy's been battling in college for a year or right. two that you're playing against. And, right. um, and you know, it corrects itself uh, over time. And I, I think it's it's doing doing better. But I think sometimes I've had, without a doubt, some players that are too aware of that. And one of the first things I'll tell them, I'm like, <laughs> look, let me use that for right. something if I'm getting to know somebody. But that number does not tell you how to hit over a high backhand. It does not define you your competitiveness. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it has nothing to do with what is the next thing for you to work on That's in your right. game. That's right. It, it's a number, it's, and, it, and it's great. I mean, hey, this is where I am. That's fine. But your game is what matters, and you've got to keep working at your game. Well, I think one of the things that's really important, because I've seen this happen to juniors, where um, and uh, I actually, uh, in my uh, talk with Alon Kakshari, on, uh, uh, who was an ATP, uh, uh, ran some tournaments, um, we talked about this whole idea of, you know, sometimes juniors and even maybe even pros maybe you've run into this where but the junior feels like okay it's at 16 i'm this utr and man that's just not very good and they have this perception that they're going to stay at that level in other words they don't understand that two years from now their body's going to change they're going to be completely different competitors and you know not to to put too much stock into it you know because what they'll do is they'll see it and they'll see somebody else in their age group who's maybe a point higher and they're thinking man okay I'll never get there well but they don't understand that maybe that person developmentally was different or that you know they had some good they had they live in an area where they got a good chance of you know playing some higher players well when they get a chance to get to college they're going to blossom and I think sometimes they get stuck in this hey this is where I am this is kind of the range I'm at etc and that's just not true well, that I would go back to my theory that I've seen players with less talent make it. Right. And so don't don't label yourself that number. You want to be a tennis player. And that number is all it is is where you have been. It's not where you will be. And and you've got to, you know, okay, that's where I am. Now, what do I need to work on to, to get, you know, where I'm higher? I mean, that's, uh, you know, always has to be the next step yeah that's great i like that it's not where you've been it's uh it's where you will be with all that hard yeah. work i mean the, U- the utr shows the past yeah yeah um what about the uh presence of you know a lot of parents you know talk about this you know the foreigners in college tennis and i've you know as a college coach i've had uh you know some years where i've had mostly americans half americans you know et cetera, et cetera, and i have my little spiel on it but um you know, maybe you could uh, express yourself because you have some guys, but you have a lot of American guys, and uh, um, maybe just kind of uh, expound on that ebb and flow in your experience. Yeah, I don't really push for one or the. I'm not a guy that's like, yeah, I want to have international guys. Right. Uh, I, I mean, I, I would say recruiting wise, I do look close to home, and then I branch out from there. Uh, one, one thing though is, you know, I I look back on my experience as a player and playing all over the world tennis is such an international sport and to me that's a great thing it's it's not a negative thing and so mm-hmm. um i i think it does raise the level of tennis sometimes people might feel like they're getting edged out because of that but again you know i'm like hey rise to the challenge and right. uh you know I, I think we've got some rules that are 
different than we used to, where we don't have the 22-year-old freshman nowadays <laughs> that we used to have. And so, right. you know, back then, well, that was unfair to have a guy who's been playing low-level pro tournaments for three or four right. years compared to the 17, 18-year-old American. That's not right. And, and then one pro- wins 20 matches straight at the All-American, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, a couple of those. Right. And, and so I think we've eliminated that, and so it's it's pretty fair. And, uh, you know, like I said, I kind of start home, but we right now we do have a number of international players as well, and I like them. I mean, it, I think it brings uh, mm-hmm. – they, they, they get to know each other. I mean, it just it broadens the horizons of players. Yeah, I, I know as a coach, it's just been a pleasure to have just, you know, all this different, uh, I mean, uh, some of them are, uh, and and this is kind of a little comment to, you know, uh, those listening in America is that, and, and Matt alludes to this, is not just rise to the occasion, but actually um, understand that um, in many ways, like, for example, I remember one, I had one player when I was coaching Irvine. I think we were top 20 in the country at the time. And I had the number one uh, Filipino player come. And, and he showed up to the campus on his own, got all of his paperwork squared away on his own, got his, all of his living situations squared up on his own. And this is an 18-year-old guy. Yeah, Not too many Americans can do impressive. that. Impressive, yeah. <laughs> and so it's the type of thing that in many ways they're very mature. They have to do a lot of traveling on their own, you know, through railways in Europe, et cetera. And there's a lot of really nice things about it. And then oftentimes very inquisitive, you know, and, and um, as, as are Americans. But my point is this, is that, you know, uh, there's there's a benefit to it, as you said. And it's, uh, it's you know, in terms of just getting to know people and be, having broader uh, broader uh, view of the world, et cetera. It's just been a, it's a, it's a real pleasure, actually, to, to meet a lot of these guys and to uh, develop relationships with them. And, like you said, tennis is international. Not only that, in college, your relationships are for life. And how cool is it that, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there. And I have players, you know, as you as do you, that are all around the world. And someday you're watching the French Open. One of your players is sitting in the front row, and you go, "Hey, Frenchie," you know that that was his nickname. <laughs> and I call, I text him, and he's sitting right there. And we're texting back and forth as he's watching the French Open. And anytime I want to go over to the French Open, he's going to give me tickets. Okay, so remember that, Frenchie. Okay, so um, the point is, is you know, there's just this great uh, tennis is a small world. Well, even while they're playing, sometimes uh, in the summer or after college if they're uh they are uh, trying to play they'll travel together and it'll be like hey come to you know france for right. a month and play the tournaments here and they're they're with a buddy I, i've also had guys where they're the best man at each other's weddings right and i love that I, and just where uh their worldview has grown and uh it, it's better and and really if if you're into the tennis Ultimately, when you are on the tour, you don't get to just play against Americans. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's it's open tennis, and yeah. so it's it's the best players. And you, if you want to go against the best, you, you know, you you got to go beat them. Anything you'd like to add about college coaching or changes that you know of coming? I mean, one thing I, uh, folks listening, that Matt is uh, he's he's been on a lot of committees and he's fairly knowledgeable about things going on, but he's always got a. A, uh, you know, a good perspective, and he usually when he says something, he's already studied it, kind of understands it. Um, anything you like to share, or maybe some uh, some things that you might know that are forthcoming since I've been out of it for a little bit. No, I don't think there are any uh, major changes like that. Okay, uh, that you're you know, I mean, it hasn't been long uh, for you, uh, but 
I, I would say there's a, a lot of mystery uh, for with the coronavirus, just where we're going to be for this immediate year. Now, right. in general, for college tennis, I, I don't think so. I, I think I think we're in a good place. The, the competition is great and, um, you know, a lot of players. And I just think they're the attention with college tennis seems to be growing again. And I, I just, I love seeing that where people know that it's important and uh, are motivated on the short term, you know, when we get to start back and when we, you know, what our events are going to look like in the fall, if any, and, you know, right. that's, that's a mystery for me and for everyone. Right. Hey, as a coach, and we kind of touched on this a little bit, but let's say you, there's a player that is, uh, you know, uh, made it at the college level and they're pretty darn good. Um, are there signs of a player um, that, and I, we already you address this, some are talented and don't make it, some aren't talented and do make it based on their work ethic or whatever, but are there some signs that a player who uh, has what it takes at the next level and telltale signs of a player that's in trouble? In other words, even at the Pro Tour, some people would say, hey, a guy like Curios, you know, there's some signs that he may not make the top five like people used to think um, right. because of his talent or, you know, his, uh, you know, compared to his drive etc but at the college level what are some things that you might tell as a as a as a mentor to your players hey you know this is good this this is awesome and these are telltale signs of a guy heading this way this is something that you you got to kind of take stock of it uh, it might uh, might hurt you in the future well you've got to be mentally tough you, you just do and and i don't just mean in a match the tour can be tough. Uh, you're traveling around the world. Uh, you're in different spots and you're playing on different surfaces and different conditions. You're playing against the best and you've got to be willing to, again, to keep working. I know that if a player is reluctant to make a change, like I kind of want to coach. I just, I don't want to make a change. I want to stay where I am. Uh, I'll say, well, why don't you write those words down? I want to stay where I am. You're not going forward. You're, you're not going to be moving up the ranks if you're going to stay where you are. Um, and so, I mean, that to me, the, the, those two things, just that mental toughness and that reluctance to, to make changes. Okay, gotcha, right. Yeah, so they want to have a more open mindset, uh, um, you know, lifetime. I mean, just a passion to just uh, Well, to I, I remember, Steve, when I yeah. was in, in the juniors, um, like I said, I'd done all right. I'd gotten to the finals of a challenger and I won junior Wimbledon the summer before coming into school. And, and while I was there for the juniors, I actually qualified for the men's doubles lost first round, but, uh, still that was a good experience. And I remember coming in, uh, and it's my first week, uh, in college and, and Dick Leach, he sat me down and he said, uh, Matt, your forehand's lousy. Your serve is okay. You, <laughs> you know, you can't, you don't know what you're doing at net. You're stumbling all over yourself. And the key is going to be how much you're willing to start working on these things. And I remember sitting there, I can, I know exactly where we were in the office. And I remember thinking, wait a second, for the last year, you've been telling me how good I was. And now that I'm here, you're telling me all the things I can't do. And I remember walking out going, coach has lost it you know what is he talking about <laughs> but i also right. remember i was very lucky it was about two weeks down the road 
I know right where I was standing on the course when I looked out and I just, in some of the teammates, I saw some of the things that he was talking about. I was right. like, that is better than what I'm doing. That is, wait a second. I right. don't do that. I, holy smokes. And so some people are reluctant for a long time and it hurts them. I think I got lucky. I was, you know, I had the filter for about two weeks. Uh, but then it was like, okay, wait, wait, what was that? I needed to, you know, and I right. just, all of a sudden I wanted to be the sponge and, you know, get uh, all of the info I could. Now, as far as guys showing they do have, have the talent, I, I think mo- there are a lot of guys in college that have a pro shot. The problem is they've got a weakness that can be exposed at the pro level. Uh, you know, I might call it the black hole. Mm-hmm. and you've got to shore up the, the black hole because when you're out on the tour and the word gets out and it's how you play this guy and, you know, you're, you're going to get exposed. And a lot of guys in, in college, they'll have a shot that is at an incredibly high level, but they'll just have those weaknesses, and they've right. got to get more well-rounded. Great stuff, great stuff. Hey, uh, before we transition out, any stories of – uh, what worked by what you said or didn't say even or did or didn't do with some players. And uh, and I'll give an example. I had a player one time, and it was kind of funny. It was like he was – won the first set handily. Second set, he was just tight as a drum. I mean, the guy couldn't put a ball on the court, couldn't break an egg. And then I went up to him. I said, "Man, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? The first the first set was incredible. Now you're just, you know, you say you want to play big time. You say you want to go. You want to even play pro. You say you want to do these things." I said, "Man, your mom could beat you right now." <laughs> he said, "Hey, my mom's pretty good, coach." Yeah. And, and, and he started laughing. And I go, "That's exactly the response I wanted." I didn't tell him that, but that's why I said it. And he loosened up and he ended up just rolling the guy. Well, I, you know, I've, I've said, I know I've said some things that have backfired for sure. Uh, I'd like to hear if you have some stories that you remember, hey, some things you said or, or uh, didn't say and they worked for you or against you, or it'd be great to hear some. Well, I think that's great when you're able to get a, make a guy laugh on the, on the course. <laughs> and I, you know, I've had where some guys are so stressed out. Right. I don't think they can laugh. Right. And they need that. Now, you don't want a guy that's so loose right. that they're, they're also not uh, intense. And right. The, that combination that I want is a guy where you're sitting there on the bench on a changeover. You could say something. You both laugh about it. Right. But then, you know, you kind of look at each other and it's like, okay, it's go time. Let's, yeah. let, you know, now you jump off that bench and, and you're ready to play. Right. Um, there have been some different things uh, on the court uh, at times that have worked. Uh, you know, I, I try not to do a lot of uh, technical work in a match. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, during a match, it's it's more strategic, you know, just kind of where we're standing, you know, our court positioning or where we're going to try to attack. Uh, if there's something we need to defend, uh, what we're doing. But I, I remember I'll go back. Maybe it's just because I'm thinking of him, uh, Jeremy Berman, the player I mentioned uh, right. before, a uh, little guy. And he, he was, when he came into school, I said, you know, what have you been working on? And he goes, well, you know, I got the groundies down and I'm just working on coming in. And I was like, no, 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 no. Our ground, your groundies have got to get a lot better. Uh, now I want, I do want to get those volleys, um, but we've got to get, you know, where you're able to be tougher and be able to play a, a long match. And, so he was he was a worker and he's working hard and I, I remember I put him in the lineup and he was tight and I even told him I go look I'm gonna I started him out low in the lineup I'm gonna put you at six no matter how you do so don't look over your shoulder win or lose I I believe in you 
And he's playing a match. I think we were playing San Diego. And he is down uh, about 6-3-3-0. And I'm like two courts away, and I could just see the look in his eye. And I went over, and I said, uh, Jeremy, and he's like, yeah, coach. I go, I, I think this match is over. I think this guy's got you today. So uh, I want to make a deal with you. And I took off my watch, and I said, here's the thing. As you're getting more and more consistent, you've got to stay on. You've got to fight and stay on this court for 40 more minutes. And I don't care how you do it. If you're walking around, you know, you know, knocking balls around, you know, but every point is long, every game is long, whatever you do, it, it's a, a, a race against the clock. You're not going to shake hands with this guy inside of 40 minutes. And all of a sudden he's like making balls, making balls, and he's running down. Ball. I mean, he would do anything to keep a point going. And all, I mean, you can see it coming, right? As I'm telling the story that he's like <laughs> winning points and all right. of a sudden it turns to games and the other guy starts to panic and, you know, Jeremy is just getting himself going and it's, you know, the typical thing where it was three, six, seven, five, six, one, he wins the match. And, um, you know, that was really the beginning of his belief in matches. And then you fast forward a couple of years as he got older, we were in a tight match and I was kind of doing the math that I don't want players to do, right? I just want them thinking about how they're playing the match, but I'm right. looking at the scoreboard going, <laughs> Ooh, I don't know. I, I think we're in trouble here in this match. Right, right. Who, who can turn it around? And I was like, I think Jeremy could turn around. And I started to go out on his court. And he said, Coach, go help somebody that needs it. I've got my point. <laughs> got to love I that. Loved it. I loved it. I just yeah. laughed and I said, I knew that. I was just making sure you did, <laughs> you know, and, and turned around. But uh, there, there have been those funny moments, uh, without a doubt, and certain things uh, have have changed matches. And those are, those are ones that I definitely, you know, we all sleep better at night when we win. But right. you know, when you know that you've contributed uh, as a coach, not just over the course of the year, because I think that's most of the work is in the preparation that happens beforehand. But when you are able to help uh, in a match uh, that turns something around, that those definitely feel good. Yeah, that's special. Yeah. Hey, uh, you mentioned Mark Elliott earlier. I just, uh, one of the things I want to ask you is uh, what coaches have influenced you? Um, you know, what, uh, well, you know, what positive things or, you know, if you look back and you say, okay, look, I, I tend to coach this way because coach X, did this for me? Well, I, I, I said early, uh, early on in, in our conversation that I've, I've been very lucky with a lot of coaches and that I've worked with. And when I look back and just go, Oh my gosh, how, how did that work out? And, and one of them was the first coach my dad sent me to. And I was at the time too young to appreciate it. Older guy. This guy was so old at the time he wore the long white pants uh, <laughs> and he taught Jack Kramer. That's how old he was. And who was that? Dick Skeen. He's passed away oh. long ago. And I go into his office. I'm nine years old. And he said, look, he didn't even want to teach me. And he said, you know, you're, it doesn't even matter what I tell you to you. You're like 14 years old, but you know, I guess I'll try to help you. And he said, all right. He, and he held up a, we're in his office, not on the court. And you know, I'm going crazy. I want to show him how good I am. You know, I'm thinking I'm hot stuff. 
and he has a court and he said, okay, you're over in the corner here and you hit a ball here. Where do you position yourself properly for the next shot? And I'm like freezing as he's saying <laughs> that. And I, I said, uh, the uh... middle. And he goes, okay, that's, that's a, that's, you could say things a lot worse than that. That's pretty good, but that's not totally correct. And he goes, we're going to stay in here today. He, he goes, there's no sense learning to hit a ball until you don't know where to be on the court to, to hit it. And I remember that lesson to this day when I was at net, when the ball's in the corner, when the ball's so much in the corner, when, if the other guys at net were, you know, where to position myself. And, you know, so when you ask me, are there certain things I remember, there were a lot of things that that guy taught me in only a year or two that were way over my head. I'm nine, 10 years old. What could I really learn? Where I'm lucky is I have a really good memory for tennis things. I mean, I think right. my wife wishes I remembered other things as well. Um, but I do remember the tennis stuff very well. And things would hit me at a later age. All of a sudden, I'm trying to you know work on a slice as I'm uh, late juniors in college. And I'm trying to get the outside edge of the ball. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh, my gosh, this guy Dick Skeen was teaching me this when I was 9 or 10. And I was just trying to put in underspin on the ball. I didn't even really get what he was saying, but right. I would remember it. And there were a lot of things like that uh, that he did that hit me at a at an older age. I mean, I wish I could go back and have, have had more time with him. I mean, he this was somebody that uh, was really beneficial. But there were a lot of a lot of people. I mean, like I said, Mark Elliott growing up and. Ken Waltz, I don't know if you knew him, but his son Butch Waltz was mm -hmm. uh, was a was a top player. And Ken, uh, Mark Elliott. Now, here's how how's this for a coach? You know, a lot of times people want a, a coach wants to work with their guy. Mark Elliott said, "Look, I'd like you to go work with Ken Waltz. I think he can help you the most with your serve." I was like, "Wow, you got it." I mean, the coach is telling me to go work with another coach on a particular shot, and. Uh, and Ken helped me with a lot of things uh, over time, but just to be able to work with both of them was incredible. I mean, just uh, and and Ken had that experience also with his son on the tour because his son was older than I was. Right. That he could bring back stories, and his son played at, at USC, and I think that was one of the things that kind of got me, kind of going in that direction at a young age. That you know, if I was good enough to uh, to go there, um, but just. Yeah, very lucky with the two of them. And then going to school and working uh, with Dick Leach, very, very lucky. I mean, he was not, I don't want to say simple, but kind of mathematical. I mean, just like an accountant, just keeping track of, well, you can do that, but you're probably only going to win three out of 10 if you do that. Right. And, but if you do this, you're going to win seven out of 10. Now, it's up to you. Which one do you want to do? Right. <laughs> I'm like, well. I, I'm scratching and clawing for every point. Of course, I'm going to choose the the seven out of ten. And he he was just able to help, uh, uh, just making me a realist as far as how best for me to play the game. And that's something I've definitely taken with me for coaching. I don't coach everybody the same way. Sometimes I'm asked, you know, what's my coaching philosophy, and it's like, well it's kind of a trick question for me because I look at each person differently. Like what's the best game and the best way of playing for that guy. Now I want each guy to be able to apply pressure. And we talk about that with our team. You know, you, um, we've kind of lately been using the expression, you either apply pressure or you feel pressure. Right. It's like, we want to apply pressure. Now, 
in your game? Is it with the forehand? Is it coming in? Or is it, you know, are you going to be, you know, out rally a guy and, you know, then you better have the tools to do that. And how are you going to do it? And then after college, I was very lucky. I, I worked with, well, even while I was in school, some with Robert Landstorp, mm-hmm. who helped me a lot with my forehand. And he, he worked me. I mean, and just didn't, you know, forehand after forehand after forehand. And that was one of the things when I came back from that Australian Open my last year in college, I would, you know, work with him early morning and then go to school for class and then have practice and, you know, trying to do it both, but helped a lot. And then after that on the tour, worked a lot with Marty Reeson, who was a great player himself and, and great coach and Hank Fister and Hank and Hank and I are just, you know, great friends to this day. And he really got me to genuinely be more offensive on the court and yeah. just show, show me how to do it. And, um, it was a lot of fun, but, uh, without a doubt helpful. And so just all these different guys, I've stolen things from all of them. Yeah. Now Hank played at San Jose state. He was Northern Cal, yep. isn't he? Yeah. That, yeah. Well, he was from Bakersfield. Right. He school at San Jose state. Yeah. Well, Matt, as we as we uh, kind of uh, near our end, I got a question for you that I ask everybody. And what what is if you had to give top five characteristics of a champion, what would those be? Okay, does it have to be five? Uh, you um, can you can uh, <laughs> give me your best. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I think number one, you've got to start with desire. I mean that that leads uh, to to everything else. You you've got to have. Uh, decent level of athleticism and i think that increases the higher you go um i look at you know things i wish there are things i would have done differently i think i could have squeezed out a couple more spots in the rankings but i don't know if i was athletic enough to be in you know the top three but you know there are guys that you know got to 10 or whatever that okay normal but still they're decent uh athletes and pretty well coordinated so i think you need that decent level of athleticism at being well-rounded, uh, that's something that uh, I've mentioned a couple of times in our talk. I, I just think the higher levels, and you look at the best players today, they're as well-rounded as we've had in, in the game. And, and that's why, you know, if you look at the big three, that's why we look at them as you know, the best ever, yeah. uh, those guys. I mean, they, they have really worked to become uh, well-rounded. I think over time, you've got to love it. You are going to lose. I remember when I was first on the tour and got down and, you know, one of the coaches saying to me, uh, Matt, if you look around, every guy but one is going to lose this week. Right. <laughs> That's right. And, and there's going to be a tournament next week. It's, you know, how you recover. And some of that is you've got to, you've got to, you know, keep finding the love of the game and, you can lose a couple matches and you, and you get down and you can kind of forget it. So you, sometimes you got to work at it to, to remind yourself uh, that love and uh, renew it. And I know when I got to college at that level, there were so many things that I hadn't done in the juniors that it was like a whole new game again. It was like, it was fun. I mean, I was like totally into learning how to hit a half volley and different types of approaches and, you know, just different ways of, of playing, like hit playing through the middle. I was like, you know, I always growing up hitting away from the guy. I can't believe I'm going to hit a ball through the middle and seeing it work. I mean, that right. those things, um, I think with that love and, and the desire, 
that gives you, you've got to find that purpose to, to your game. And no, I think a lot of players, they'll get to college and they've, they've got some talent and they had a way of playing maybe when they were growing up, but now they're stronger and they could hit a ball harder, but they, they, I call it kind of like an identity crisis. They're, they're not sure what their game is. They, they've got to find what their game identity is. And for me as a coach, that's probably the most enjoyable aspect is figuring out the identity for the different guys. Right. But those, those things, I, I guess, yeah. desire, you know, the athleticism, being well-rounded, you got to love it and then seek that purpose. I think the the last one there I think is 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 a good one um, that a lot of people don't talk about. I think uh, I kind of liken it to when I'm trying to uh, help players out. I say, look, you know, have you ever driven in a neighborhood? You don't know where you're at. You know, it's kind of like you're new to the neighborhood. You drive slow and you're not sure if you should go left or right. And it's like, man, is it here? And you're kind of like looking over the steering wheel, you know. Um, but if you know where you live and you know where you're going, you just zip right there, and it's it's effortless. And I said, when you know what you're doing on the tennis court, you know your game style, you know your patterns, and you know what you like, and 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 uh, maybe you know maybe that day something's off. If you have clarity of purpose, it's a whole different ball game. You're, uh, the indecisions are what lead to a lot of unforced errors and uh, you know things that just you know frustration. Well, I think I, I'm going to go a step for. I'm in total agreement. I'll go a step further. I think when you are tentative, you don't learn. There, you because then you come off the court and you're like, well, I was tentative. I, I shouldn't do that. I'd rather do the wrong thing and get after it. Yeah. Because then you learn, <laughs> okay, I was doing the wrong thing, but I, you know, and now I know. But if I was tentative doing the right or wrong thing, you're going to lose either way. Right. And, yeah. And that, so you, you make up your mind how you're going to play. You commit to it. You go do it. Yeah. Then you can come off, evaluate, okay, I need to tweak it a little bit. Or, hey, I'm on the right track. Yeah. Oops. Serving volley yeah. against that guy. Bad plan. <laughs> right. Right. Or, right. or I'm going to do it a different way. Right. You know, I'm going to go, I might go up higher, uh, you know, more of a kick serve to get in tighter, or I'm more into the body, or whatever it is. Right. Right. But if you're just kind of tentative and you're coming in slow or whatever it is you're doing, well, then you come off, you haven't learned, and it's just like, well, I don't want to be tentative. Right. Right. Great stuff. Great stuff. Hey, Matt, it's uh, it's been great finally connecting you uh, with you. I know we talked about this a few times, so um, I'm just you know really uh, happy that you came on the show with me here. And I, I would like to give you this opportunity here to reach out to people and say, hey, you know, here's some uh, action steps or something going forward or some things that you would like to maybe leave with people as we as we wind down. Well, uh action steps uh you know one, one of the things is is to get out and play and i know right now that's that can be tough for people depending on where they are i know a lot of people that are able to play but i know some that, that aren't but when they can uh to to get out and play and to really be a student of the game i, I think you can learn more now than ever if you really try i i know in this lockdown period that we've had you know just players you know they can look at video and, and on the internet and youtube and see you know, kind of model certain things and you can you can do things to improve yourself uh as a player and, and just to enjoy that process but number one you got to get out and play and that's i mean it's that's probably what drew everyone to the game at first is they enjoyed it yeah. and then over time you know you can be 
where it feels like a job and you, but you've got to, if you take on another challenge, all of a sudden you're right back to where it is enjoyable. And I think when you're working to get better and you see progress, you're going to love it. Well, I'd like to add on to that for some folks listening. Again, like I said earlier at the very beginning, I said, if you live in the, you know, the Seattle area or, you know, if you live in L.A., if you live in wherever you live in the U.S. or even in Europe or other places and you got tournaments and players, you know, good players around you, get out and watch them. You learn a lot by watching. So if you have a chance, if you have a chance to uh, to get out and watch a UW match, go on and check their schedule. Uh, they're going to play Stanford. They're going to play USC. They're going to play a lot of great schools. And you will see some phenomenal tennis and some future uh, pro players. And uh, it's uh, to me, there's nothing uh, more exciting than college uh, college tennis at a, when there, there's a lot of parity. And I think you'll uh, really enjoy it. And they do a good job at uh, at UW with you know how they kind of do the uh, uh, the pregame stuff and, uh, you know, announcements and it's a, it's a fun environment. So, uh, just get out there and watch some tennis, uh, this year and then get out there and practice, look at it, practice, look at it, practice, etc. So, uh, great stuff. Hey, you've been listening to the, uh, coach Steve Clark PhD show with Matt Anger, head coach men's tennis at university of Washington. Uh, be sure to like and share this and all my podcasts, uh, my blog page, my website with your friends at coach Steve Clark, PhD.com. Uh, there you'll find uh, blogs, uh, podcast resources, videos. Um, special thanks to Collins Company, Court Equipment, and Aero Concrete and Asphalt uh, Specialties. I also welcome your comments and questions, and you can reach me at steve at coachsteveclarkphd.com. And uh, let me leave you with one last thought here before the music comes on. Um, I... I have a little saying, uh, particularly with the work ethic of players on the court, I go, never leave a ball uncontested. If you're at net, you're lunging. If you're on the baseline, you're tracking it down like a dog chasing a stick. So never leave a ball uncontested. Uh, As I end every show with the Bryan Brothers music coming up, I just remind you just to let it rip. 